first of all, Hafisa, I'm just so happy that we're doing this. Me too. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Sarai. Yeah. Your, your piece, um, Theater Forgiveness, is just like so amazing. And that's why you don't just have me, you also have Sarai Bordeaux here asking, <laughs> you, asking you some questions. And But I get the first one, if that's okay. Um, yeah. Just for article clubbers, we've read your piece, we love your piece, but we would love to give you a little space just to talk about you a little bit, to share a little bit about you. So um, could you introduce yourself just a little bit and sort of just share a little bit about who you are? It's a big old question mark. <laughs> like, well, it all started in 1984. <laughs> Technically 1983, but <laughs> let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I am a writer and a poet. Um, you know, my poetry book came out in September. Um, and then, you know, this is part of a larger nonfiction project that I've just finished up. Um, and, you know, this was, you know, this was my very first like nonfiction essay that I'd really written, you know, um, because I was just kind of there, you know, it's some, for all the things I was trying to untangle, you know, poetry just didn't have enough space. Um, so, but I think that regardless of what genre I'm writing in, you know, my, I'm writing about and for Black and African people, you know, and trying to, how do we understand, how do we understand the narrative of ourselves in this place? when the narrative that we've been like that's been written over in like the mass culture is one that's so dangerous so toxic and so deeply untrue you know and so that's kind of like where like my I think my obsessions as a writer happen and like and then I think you can tell by my writing that like I'm I'm very much in, like invested in like understanding intimacy across different types you know and so that's just more about the piece but I was I was born in Zaria, Nigeria. Um, like my mother was a like a Muslim, Muslim Nigerian woman, and my father is a Black American man who was born in like Alabama and like like you know George Wallace's Alabama in like 1945, born in Jim Crow. Um, and they my parents met at Ohio University when like my dad was in grad school for his MFA in painting. Um, and my auntie Myro uh, happened to be, she was an educator in, uh, in Nigeria and she was a visiting scholar at like Ohio University. And like my mom had come to like help her take care of like her two younger kids. And like my mother was walking up with Sturwell, my father was walking down, they met, they went on two dates, then they got married. Like, um, you know, sometimes it works. Um, and then like, uh, and then, they after they were married they lived in the states for a little bit then my dad moved back to nigeria with my mom where me and my sister were born and then after that like we moved to the states um but other than, like i don't know what do you want to know about me it's like <laughs> what about you mark huh <laughs> like, this is about you this is not about yeah. me but yeah i also uh, i also appreciate also how you talk about sort of maybe how this piece got started. Can you say mm -hmm. more about that, the origination, how this piece emerged and also specifically who you're writing to and why? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't think I had any clue who I was writing to when I started it. Like, you know, I literally, I, like, I was just, I was just like, you know, I want to try writing nonfiction. I've been thinking, you know, I've been literally like 
thinking about it for like years and then just mainly stayed afraid to do it. And then finally, like um, through a friend of a friend, uh, this woman was teaching a uh, writing nonfiction workshop in her apartment just for women. You know, I'm just like, it was a six week. I'm just like, it was affordable. I can make this commitment. And I'm just like, let me just try. And so like I, I really started in that group with those women, like the germ of the idea. And so, I mean, but it was like, I, I got out like, you know, 10 pages of it in, in that, but like really, I think what around this time, as I was writing it, like my aunt's health was already slipping, like, um, and so it was also trying to understand like the complication of like my father's guilt because even it's like old black people and like their feelings you know and so him even though he knows what happened to me was wrong the inability to say it and it caused a lot of tension between us because like I didn't really realize until like I got into therapy myself and started unpacking other things how much that deeply like that my relationship with my aunt Sarah deeply impacted me because like I was you know any writer that turned that any child that turns into a writer is a sensitive child you know and like my father is a visual artist um he actually he did the cover of this so this is my mom nine months pregnant with my sister um like uh the when we lived in Nigeria and so and so what was I saying I lost my train of thought oh that like and so trying to really unpack like like who what does pain do and who does pain belong to you know because you know especially like being black like pain is so communal you know and and like to have communal pain in a country that refuses mourning, you know, and also refuses black pain. And it's like this idea of the toxicness because like my, just like, you know, my dad loves telling stories. And so the, they, I, I grew up with stories of what he and like my Sarah and my aunt Liz escaped, right? And like they, they escaped so much violence, not just like in the world, but like in their home and like poverty. And to think that like, what like what does it mean that like the cruelty that like that my aunt got in her life she gave to me and why and you know around you know the charleston shooting you know i i grew up in grew up in south i came of age in south carolina i moved there when i was like 15 um and i went i was there until i graduated from from college from clemson in like uh 2006 and you know, you just notice that like black people are always forgiving, always forgiving. And just like watching Dylan Roof be taken to a drive-through and just like, and, but also just to think that like, I mean, most people, like when you think about how long time is like, if you ask someone to like look in the look at each other in the eye for like a minute, it's almost into, like it's almost so hard. But to think that he sat there the entire prayer service, you know what I mean? And like and then and then did what he did, and then this and then when I just like started like you know then all the articles started coming out, and then just thinking about like the family literally forgiving him in the courts that locks us up. You know, I'm just like, what does that mean? You know, I think it's, I think like uh, America loves convincing 
us that we should be mad at black people for what this country has done to us. And I'm just like, forgiveness, like where does this forgiveness stem from? And then, you know, like, um, so like one of the things, like one of the chapters in my book is, um, is like, uh, t- is like talking about like the evolution of like the blues from spirit from spirituals and you know like the the blues evolved after emancipation right it's essentially the child the child of the spirituals because if you think about it like um because it, it happened like shortly after free uh, emancipation so if you think about it, like no white slave master wanted their cruelty sang at them so you had to code them you know and that like you were allowed no rage that like that like your rage could be deadly you know and thinking about like what that does to you and just thinking about like what poverty and what cruelty does to you when you're literally against the law to give it to anybody but yourself or your the people around you you know and like and and like and I, you know, I just, I tend to be just like, I'm someone who's like always searching for origin points of things. And so I wanted to know like, where did that forgiveness stem from? Like, yes, we are like black people are incredibly forgiving people, but it's not just, it's not just that we're awesome. You know what I mean? It's that like, it's that like, you know, in this idea of epigenetics, right? And it could also stem from like uh, years ago I was listening to this, um, you know, on being with Krista Tippett, the podcast. Um, it's really good if you guys haven't checked it out. But she was, she did this, um, this episode on epigenetics, and they like this woman. I forget her name, but this researcher, she had went to the, I think, this small town in New Jersey to research Holocaust survivors. It's like it's this town that had like the highest concentration of Holocaust uh, survivors, and what they and they wanted to study, study the effect of trauma on the body of those of those memories. And what they found was they ended up studying the children because they found that the people that showed the most like impact of the trauma was the children of the survivors, you know? And this idea that like, um, and it rings true because when you, when when people who are children of Holocaust survivors, when you ask them who they are, they would have answered this question, I'm a child of a Holocaust survivor, right? You know, this in like, in the pressure of just being like, I lived for you, now go be my ambition. And then she also talks about like, um, how they also were studying like women who were pregnant during 9-11 and it changed, the stress changed the chemistry in their body, you know? And just thinking about like, then what what has epigenetics done to us? You know, what has it gotten into us? And this like, and this, this perform that like, that like, uh, when you're, because to be black, you're constantly on the stage, right? Of like, of constantly having to perform a certain type of like acceptability to be safe. And even then, like you can't even bird watch, you know? Um, so you're always in this performance. And so that like, what do you do when, like, how do you get back to, how do you find your life again when you've essentially lived in the performance the entire time, you know? And so like, I knew I'd spent so long just kind of being so like angry, like anger isn't even the right word for what I felt for my eyes. I didn't even, I still even don't know how to, because it's mixed up with so much with like anger, shame, like sadness and like confusion. But like, and I was just like thinking that like, you know, at this point in my life, I'm old enough where I have to forgive her and like, or, or, or at least make amends with it. You know, I don't like um, Sarah and I like never got to the point where we're like friends, you know, but like, I knew that like, that like I had to find some type of peace because it wasn't that like, 
I realized that my anger towards the situation wasn't, it wasn't that I was just keeping that in, you know, like that was also going someplace, going places too. And so I realized that I'm also repeating this pattern and that to forgive her, like meant that I really had to understand her, you know? And I think that like, you know, white America is the only group that gets to live in, in memoir alone, you know? Black people, we live in history, we live in poly, like, you know, like we live in all the genres, you know? And so like, how do you understand like, like the multifaceted genres of life? And, and then, you know, then I kind of started thinking that like, okay, if we are trained to give forgiveness away to white people, what happens if we save it for ourselves? And I think, you know, so much of what I was wrote in there, I literally just like figured out as I went along, you know? And, you know, there's something about like, when like, when about your, it's hard to hold on your to your anger when your bully is, has just so physically weak, you know? And it's just like at the end, you know? And then like, and then she, there were so many people that she loved and was kind to, you know? And like my uncle Raj was like one of the sweetest men I like ever knew. And the fact that like, their marriage always just like, I was just like, you know what I mean? And so the fact that like all her rage had nowhere to go but me. And like, as an adult now, I can realize how lonely that must have been for her. You know what I mean? Because like, I was just a receptacle for everything she didn't get. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wow. That was just like, <laughs> there's a, I mean, kind of, I feel like you kind of answered a lot of the, the questions that I was having in my mind, kind of speaking to like the loneliness that somebody might feel like, what do we owe like in forgiveness truly? Mm -hmm. Like what do we, if we do say forgiveness for ourselves, like mm -hmm. what kind of conversations does that mean for our like dinner times? Like what kind of conversations that, um, and one of the things that I wrote down as I was reading your piece, it, it just has to do with, with that kind of thing. like. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean if we live our whole lives giving our best to white people and having to deal with like our traumas at home when we're so angry, mm -hmm. so fed up and so this and so that. So in educational spaces, in workspaces and all these different places where, you know, we're expected to do not only to perform, not only forgiveness, but to perform like, like to perform, even being yep. able to stand certain people, like even being able to mm -hmm. agree with you know, for fear of losing your job or for fear of whatever, um, not being able to air your personal grievances without being um, called aggressive or yep. you know, playing the race card or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, like, what does that mean when all of your energy is expanded to people who don't respect you? Then you try to go home to, to places where you are so-called loved. Um, yeah. But the love relationship is so complex now that we've passed on trauma to, you know, and we have to now blend those things together um yeah because like you know horton spillers talks about like you know the or like like uh, she's a black uh, scholar who's like brilliant and she talks about like you know the origin of intimacy in this country right and so intimacy was based on, like the first like relationships of colonization are like a white slave master and his wife who is jealous of the enslaved woman and like all this cruelty. So, you know, has is is there ever been a good intimacy 
in this country. Right. And so all intimacy is based off of like, like the, that relationship, right? Like all the our idea of like what partnership is like, and you can see that with like, you know, like some of the, the, the toxic masculinity that yeah. can like on black men you yeah. know with, well, with, with form like yeah a certain way then it's deadly like if we yeah if we're not able to make the image or you know if we're not able to perform to the archetype you know then our behaviors yeah. are quite possibly deadly and one of the questions that i have um kind of has to do with like you know now that we're we are in i mean not now that like this all of the mm -hmm. things that we're dealing with are are cyclical and have shown themselves in in iteration in history yeah but I'm wondering like specifically, like how do we, how do we center ourselves? Like how do we fortify like ourselves? And I, I kind of wanted to ask you this, like as an extension to what you had written two years ago, like, you know, what, what new things have you gleaned? Like, you know, like what new- Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially when considering like, even in, even like we know in the election right now, like, yes, that's cool. And there's all this other fuck shit. Yeah. Like, all this, like, when do we get to be happy? Like, period. Like, when do we mm -hmm. get happy? Like with no caveat, you know, like when yeah. do we get to deal well, with- Well, you know, I would argue that like black happiness is what makes us so dangerous. Cause like, I always joke yeah. with people, like you go to a park, right? And like, like at the park, there's just like a quinceanera going on. There was a tyrant party right next to a birthday party, and just like like black people and like like Latinx people, people of like uh, of color from like are hanging out with each other across generations and being loud as fuck, right. right? But then you look over and see white people. They're all around the same age group, and they're all you can barely hear them, right? I'm just like, where is that joy? Right. And the thing is, like, they call the cops on ours, you know, because like. Like my dad like to say it's because like they cannot fathom how we could be happy, like given all they deny they've done to us, that they know they've done but to us. So, you to have a smile yeah, basically. Yeah. And especially in a country, you know, that is based off racial capitalism, right? So like, you know, when you think about like any type of marginalized group, black people, indigenous people, disabled people, like we have been forced to live on the outskirts of capitalism, right? And this country like needs us, especially right now, like we have like, it, it needs us to believe that capitalism is the only way and our existence keeps proving there's an, another alternative, right. right? And so that makes us so dangerous. But in terms of, I think of like, like what I've learned, you know, over how this piece has stayed with me through the years, I think especially like right now, I think this idea of forgiving whiteness over and over again that's a cage that's prison but for but like bringing forgiveness home to the community that's abolition abolition work you know what i mean and i think that like you know with the conversation that's happening around like you know defunding the cops abolishing prisons but just like abolishing a carceral system that is literally just a key element to racial capitalism like and to do that like we have to understand our rage and like and 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 like understand that like rage is beautiful and powerful because rage is often all, like your your body telling you you have a line yeah you know I thought it and that like it has to be drawn hold on my all my plant lights are going off one second sorry <laughs> yeah um yeah so I yeah I think that like really understanding because it's like you know the ability to hold to forgive i think is as important as an ability to hold rage i mean like if someone hurt your child right. in, a, in a deep way you wouldn't be like yeah forgive them right why because they haven't done anything to say they're not going to hurt you again you know what i mean right. 
I, I, that is something, that is something too, um, that I was writing down kind of it was circling back in all of the notes that I took. I remember you said that something that um, rage is rooting, like it's grounded. Yeah. It's grounding. Yeah. Um, and there's some, something about that, that is so, it's not only, it's not only like beautiful, but it's like sustainable, right? Like if we're going to get <laughs> yeah. this like generational trauma, like we're going to also get passed on this understanding um, hopefully in the coming generations that we don't necessarily have to forgive for that, for that rate. Yeah. Um, one thing I thought was so interesting um, in connection was how, you know, harm is perpetrated and then folks who cause the harm are able to say like what the healing is. Um, and I mm. feel like that's, that's part, yeah. of, part of the reason that like white people need this theater because they're like, we need to upkeep this image that America is this place where, where people, where people get to do what they want to do. Yeah. The only way that that works and the only way that capitalism works is to say like, no, no, like, you know, like this was necessary to get where we are. Like you have to be, you're a part of the story too, but only in, in this certain way. So I really appreciate like, not only how, not only how your story deviated, but how you hinted to that your dad's story also deviated, how he held on to rage, like how he was not quick to forgive. Um, mm -hmm. I think oftentimes, like the ability to forgive it's it's passed down communally but the example yeah in our homes is is also it's either divergent or it, it converges with that mainstream yeah so, um yeah in addition to speaking to a little bit more to like how how can we center ourselves in our own rage like can you can you talk about like maybe the maybe like what's happening in mainstreams versus what's happening in like you know, familial circles as it as it comes to forgiveness. Do you see do you see a divergence in the message right now? Or I mean, I mean, I think like I I feel like white people through Trump have are not even pretending they care anymore. You know what I mean? White America, and I think that like that you know my father spent his whole life being raised by a woman he couldn't protect. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that, I think that like my father also witnessed like, you know, I feel like if a group of people that deserve their rage more than anybody is black woman and we are so consistently denied it, you know? Like, you know, we are abused in so many ways. We are set up to not be believable. We're assaulted and then they kill our children and then they kill us, you know what I mean? Like we literally weather away, you know? Um, and so I think I really, I really appreciate like the way, like, you know, I think it's, you know, the fact of having parents who are raised by two very different forms of colonization. Like my mother's country did not get free of the British, like what, 1963 or four, you know? And so like, like why, while my father grew up in like the shadow of colonialism, my mother grew up under the thumb of it. You know what I mean? Like the, she was still feeling the fingerprint of it. Um, and so I think for them, like everywhere they went, they saw the harm, you know, and, but like, but also they lived most of their lives in black communities and African communities. Right. So they, so for them, they knew that there was a completely different way. Right. So that meant that rage didn't have to be all they had. Right. 
Um, and so I think that's the key that like there is some that like that like this idea that like that rage could destroy you is just so confusing right. to me. Because, you know what I mean? Because just like there is like you know when you get around just like other black people and you get to just talk about how fucked up shit is. It is like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your rage is as a black person in this country, especially as a black woman, your rage is the like is your touch point to reality yeah. and all of this cognitive dis- dissonance and all of these yeah. lies, you know? That's like, I feel like that's also why people of color, black people especially are able to hold on right now because this country has always been like a fun house mirror, you know what I mean? And so like, we can see the ridiculousness and like, and then touch reality because we've, we've always been living in it. You know what I mean? Because patriotism is the most confusing thing to me. Super confusing. You know what I mean? I'm just like, have like have you been outside like it's just like so confusing to me you know people join the military not because they love this country most of them join it because they can't pay for college you know what i mean people don't love it like you know what i mean and it is just like this idea of like what would i have to be to love this country considering what this country does you know what i mean i don't want to be that person you know and so in terms of yeah i mean it's just like what we're seeing now is just it's just like we are inside of white America's suicide mission because, because the, like, you know, if you think about like um, the 12 stages of grief or how many there are, you, we know the dangerous ones, you know? Right. And America has been stuck in the, the stage of like denial and anger, you know? Because the fact that there hasn't been deep collective mourning in this country over everything it's done, over 400 years of enslavement, the fact that there hasn't been collective mourning and commemoration to that, I mean, that just tells you just like, it's like all that's left is destruction. You know what I mean? Um, And so like, they can't even, because white America has never gotten to the other side of that, they don't understand that there is another side, you know? That like, it's just like, that like they just think like the earth is flat and they fall off on the other side you know what yeah. i mean like but there's like there's other things to be done like once you once you face history you know and like facing history is actually the only cure to the wound of, yeah of it, you know what i mean and so i think that that's like what we're in now is just like i don't it's just like it's the height of farce you know like they're they're protesting a virus it's just yeah. like it's like if i took a picket sign out to hydrogen it said no more um, you know what i mean like it's just like the most just like what are you doing but, 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 how does that work that, are you gonna chase COVID out of town because no. if you wanted to do that you would have stayed home you know what i mean like and so i think that like you know like i'm like i joke with my, my friends i'm just like do white people care about their children? You know, I, they won't save them from guns, from politicians. I've never, I didn't grow up with any white kids who ever had curfews, you know what I mean? Right. And like, my parents found the, the like idea of children out at night ridiculous, you know what I mean? Like, cause it kind of is, you yeah. know? Like, For sure. do you like see a 16 year old? I really appreciate how that like speaks to the kind of idea, like the idea of convergent and divergent ideas like the fact that black folks have continuously had to deal with some divergent shit in order to yeah literally in order to survive like yeah you know you had to have a counter narrative you know like you had to find a way to center yourself exactly when you don't you know who you end up being people like ice cube well and i watch (laughs) and i watch law and order svu i'm not even gonna lie and say no that's ice tea oh oh, no (laughs) 
You leave Ice-T alone. Ice-T is just doing his bidding on TV. And he said Ice-T was crazy too. Oh my gosh. See, I got the Ices like mixed up for a second. I got- Right, I know. And see, that's another thing Ice-T was messing up. Man. Like, we're good with Ice-T. He's doing his thing. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh -uh, uh -uh. But But like, you know, you see all the, like, think about how many toxic, like how many, like, like, black men who are just like at the height of capitalism are embracing this you but know you what can, I mean? and that's the thing is like that's the thing it's like okay instead of being able to go to to ice cube and be like look bruh like i have to deal with white lady in the office every day you yeah. know that's where my energy goes you know yeah I really, like i really respect what that's you- part about quarantine though microaggression my, way down <laughs> way down way down because you can it's on it's on record the meeting Susie. like i heard what you <laughs> yeah. said. But I really like all that like daily stuff, you know, that hmm. I really appreciate what you said, like about kind of because it made me think of how it's not just forgiveness that we have to perform and how like kind of bringing it back to the to the forgiveness piece, like all of those different ways that we've learned to kind of like swallow mm-hmm. like what we're really dealing with in order to to keep ourselves valid, not only like valid and like seen and able to, yeah. get done, but like literally safe. Um, like the amount of performing that goes on on the daily basis, it's something, you know, it's been spoken about for years, you know, wearing a double consciousness and things like this, but I just really respect, you know, the way that even the, like even the title fear of forgiveness, I was like, what? Like, I was, I was like, hold on here. Like, what do we, what? You, I was like, this is not a game. Like, forgiveness is not a joke. <laughs> because never you have all these, they want us to think it is. But, but that's the thing. You have all these yeah. people who are like, oh no, like you got to center yourselves. Good vibes only, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like, can you tell the cops to have good vibes only? Like, could you yeah. tell the legal system to have good vibes only? Like, could you give, could you give fucking Rush Limbaugh a, 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 you know, tutorial in forgiveness? Like if, if we're expected to perform yep. this sorriness, this, eye, you know, low eye contact, this, this, mm-hmm. you know, um, I really appreciated how in the end of your, in the end of the article, it started talking about unerasable lines and it started talking about, you know, even ways that you would in, in a lot of com- complex, with a lot of complex work, kind of integrate your aunt Sarah's like lessons for later, you know, yeah. um, and kind of live with those. And so like, I, there's no real question here. <laughs> like, I, mean, that, yeah, I think I that know. like, yeah, I think that there's like black people, there's always something to learn. And just like, she just drew her line in the wrong direction. Yeah, You know what I mean? Because like, because like also, I mean, like, I'm like the first, me and my sister, like we're the first like generation on both sides of, our family, like our generation to really grow up and mesh in the white world, you know what I mean? Like, and so like, I can literally see the bullshit because it's in front of me all the time, you know? Like they were like white and like, like and before we had the vocabulary and like the access of the internet to disseminate all this information, you know, you, you were just in your community. And I imagine it's just like, how do how the confusion of like is it white people if there are no white people here? Right. You know what I mean? It, but, but like whiteness operates in every room, you know. Just like thinking about like for most of us, or so so many of us, and including like children who have immigrant parents like me, like the only language we have is the language of our captors, you know. And I feel like once a month I am seeing uh, like an article about like 
like 30 words you didn't know were racist, but were, you know what I mean? And this is the only language we have to take care of ourselves, right. you know? Right. And it's like, and, it, and it's it's built to dehumanize us. It's built to, you know, like there's the, that always, there's like a, that like scene in Malcolm X where like, um, where uh, Denzel Washington's like, um, reading the dictionary and he looks up black and yeah. he's just like, <laughs> you know, like every, and he just like black meant me, like black meant dark, evil me, you know? Like, and it's just like, yeah, this country demonizes us in every aspect, including the language. Yeah, that's some, I'm sorry, Mark, did you have any? <laughs> you're, you're doing great, keep okay. on going. <laughs> well, I mean, like, Speaking to the important, I was telling my homie the other day, I was like, I both love and hate words because I'm, yeah. I'm like in the, you know, even in a text message, I'm like, I'm not trying to come off to this. And there's like mm-hmm. all these studies about, like, I still haven't been able to remove the exclamation points from my um, emails because I don't want to seem rude. Like I don't, right, right. like, you know, so, yeah. So like, I mean, thinking about, thinking about the, the, this being the only language that we have um, and how like we usurped it, like how are how are we like fully subverting this language? Because I felt like throughout your your article, the images, some of the juxtaposition I found between you know some of the ways that you were like describing the church, like a yawning woman, like that. Those some of those different the ways that you use language, I was like, yes, like this is fully a this is fully a you know, a slap in the face to the white man, like all the way yeah. through and through, like, but not only, not only that, but like, how, how do you see what you're doing as, you know, a way to kind of not be, not like, owe anybody anything? I guess I'm just trying to ask like how you use writing as subversion, basically. Like, do you well, see your writing as, yeah. as subversion? Well, like, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, like, wrote this thing called, like, the characteristics of Negro expression, right? And, like, one of the things, it talked about, like, the way Black people just take language, and, like, we remix everything, sound, language, clothing, food, right? And so, like, even this, like, like, everything ugly in this country, we have made beautiful, right? you know? And that, like, that, like, that, because like we cannot fox the fox, you know? Like um, this, like, if, like, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, like the tradition, like the history of like cakewalking. So like, back, so, like in enslavement, like, um, like, I, I, like I'm working on another project where I was like researching this. So like in enslavement cakewalking, like, um, like enslaved people, they would literally like, like their like uh, slave masters, masters would like give them like some like raggedy white looking people's clothing but it's above their station they would literally just like like walk around as though they're white people so just like very just like like exaggerated movements of just like being very hoity right yeah and they were mocking uh they were mocking white their white slave masters but their white slave masters thought it was like didn't realize it was being mocked they just like were getting a kick out of like black people pretending to be human right wow and like the subversion of that because black because enslaved people were allowed no private space so they made it in public yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and in a way to be like that like you it comes to also just like point out the lack of humanity of this yeah of, of their of their captors you know like you think we don't have the humanity but like you're the one who doesn't right. a little side tangent but um but like a fun fact is so what i was like you know 
So when you think, you know, remember Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah. So you know Carlton's dance, the Carlton? Yeah. Right? So they, like, uh, they asked, like, there's, like, Carlton, like, he, like, the actual uh, actor, um, like, made up that dance. And he said that, um, that, like, he was just thinking of the whitest dance he could come up with. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it was a cross between, like, this uh, Courtney Cox and Bruce Springsteen, like this song that like where they're dancing um, and like uh, and like an Eddie Murphy skit. But the character of Carlton, do you know who it's based on? Who was named after? Who? It was the, the, the show creators are white people and they named it after their friend Carlton, who's a show creator of Lost. What? Like, yes. So this white guy, right? So the subversion. So the to connect the points, the subversion is that like, the the joke of Carlton Banks is that that like for these white show creators is just like imagining a a black boy so rich so well spoken there had to be a ghost of a white man inside of him oh, and then the black actor comes and then actually subverts that by being like no I'm mocking whiteness you know what I mean and so that's what I mean like black people remix every single thing you know that like there's like nothing that this country can own without us because there's nothing it built without us you know mm -hmm. and so I think that like um I think the same thing with with language that like even that like you have given us this thing that can be so dangerous and so ugly and like and like we are like we're like portmanteau in words we're pushing things together we're just like adding like some verbs on things right. you know and and then the whole country copies it you know like you know so it's like i think that like language is our power that's why they try to steal our narrative yeah i, I mean spe specifically thinking about people you know how was they try to keep it away from us for so long people like who are enslaved going now and reading in the dark and like risking their lives mm -hmm. to be able to find these words um Yep. One of the things that I keep coming back to, kind of speaking about subversion in, in your language, there's one of the quotes is, I think it was, um, he chew, chewing rage like like cud, chewing, chewing yeah. rage like cud. And cud is something cows chew, right? Or something like, yeah. yeah. And so like, just, yeah. Like, just like juxtaposing like how human like rage is and, and kind of mm -hmm. that cud, like animalistic, like whereas, yeah. whereas white people would see us as, you know, only human if we're able to forgive such sin. We're only yeah. civilized if we can do that. This kind of animalistic behavior of kind of chewing on that cud and still like, for me, if you hold on to your rage and deal with it well, like that's the human part, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, the, exactly. that's the, that's the com complexity of the human brain and the beauty mm -hmm. of, of, you know, working through your own emotions. But I just think it's so interesting how um how especially here you're able to to use to use that language kind of in a subvertive way like all the time like page after page like idea after idea even thinking about um even thinking about the point at which you your dad tells you that aunt sarah actually saved you guys from yeah. staying at the grandpa's house or how you know at the family um gatherings there was no alcohol but people would still yeah. kind of laugh at jokes of people who had abused it yeah. you know and i'm just kind of wondering about this like existing in mixed company right existing with abusers and folks who have mm -hmm. been abused first for me like specifically speaking like white people we know like we know that we need to yeah. deal with that relationship but i always want to bring it back to like the relationship we have with yeah. our own like is there something that you think is a necessity in, in not necessarily mending. Like, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think we have to mend all the relationships with abuse. Yeah. 
but is there something that you find um, necessary in at least like the the um, the naming of of abuse like in families? Is there something that you see as necessary in in the um, like making it known? Because I know one of the points you made is like we're expected to give forgiveness without any harm being yeah things like that. Like, is there anything yeah. you see as as like a step in changing that? Well, I mean, I think that like, if you can't name it, you can't stop it. You can't even talk about it being there, you know? And I think like, that's like the, like the first issue, like you can't fight something that you can't name. And I think that like, if to not name what happens to someone is to say that they're not human, you know what I mean? I think this is why like, like, you know, even though truth and reconciliation like commissions are so problematic, you know, because like, you know, it's just like they, they stop they think that that a stage is the same thing as justice right because like we're it, like in america we still don't know what justice is or looks like you know this is a complicated work of abolition you know we have to because that's what people first love to say like what about the rapists and like the no killers, like, let's you know? deal with homie that you can't stand your neighbor bro like <laughs> yeah exactly you know it um and so i think that like there is like this like deep deep necessity to name and say that like one like i will witness you and two to say that like that there are so many ways to be human that like tell me how your humanity has been denied yeah because like you know when you think about like you know like what is happening now with covid when we think about all the ways people humanity is being like violated not just through like a lack of medical care and like a lack of government infrastructure and but like from like a lack of being able to mourn their loved ones collectively right. you know they're like that is that is humiliating you know the way people are having to to mourn right now but also like the lack of just like that like it interferes with like the students access to education right and so that is just like you know and that is fundamental to like a historical connection to like enslaved life that's the first thing like they did not want us to be educated and so like the the desire and the need to learn and the want for it like that is part of our humanity right and so i think that like if you don't if you don't name like the harms you also don't know you also don't understand like what it means to be human in this in like, the time that we are in and i think that like um that like when you don't name it you assign the shame to the the victim, you know? Because like, there's nothing this country hates more than victims, you know? Like people are just like, I don't wanna be a victim, you know? Right. And it's just like, it's worse to be a victim in this country than it is to be a perpetrator, right? you know? Wow. It was wild to me. Wow. And so I think that like, naming is the only way to place the shame where it belongs. Because like, you know, there's that saying like, why do men rape? Because they can because they can get away with it, right? And so like, you know, abolition work doesn't look like putting everyone in prison. It looks like a situation where it says, if you rape, whoever you rape, the community will not let you stay here. You will not be, or you will have to do something like to to atone, you know? Okay. Because it's like putting people in prison isn't, doesn't give justice either, especially right. when like, how like no like yes it's like it's just, it's just like it's complicated because like yes we are all responsible for our actions but to act like we are we live in we're made in silos is racist right you know what i mean right that like there is so much entangled to what this country has done to black people i mean like literally the one of the work that every black person has to do is is like find a place where they can love blackness wow. because that 
because like you literally aren't allowed to from birth you know what I mean mm -hmm. and so and so like that's what I mean like I know exactly about your childhood you know like you were allowed to love blackness you know what I mean like just from what I see I mean, in the background and like and like and that's like the work you know yeah I mean it seems and it is 354 just so everybody everybody knows um but kind of like I mean I definitely want to connect it to the, um your work on American that has just come out um my copy should be arriving I put I got it on my phone but I was like I'm not reading this on my phone so my copy should <laughs> arrive tomorrow it's you know I should be able to dig into it over the weekend thank but, you um I just wanted to kind of connect some of the some of those different ideas just like having having to do with what you were kind of just saying like the ways that we're not even able to name um or or space is not created to name or or people thinking yeah. that naming is some kind of offense or attack um specifically i'm thinking yeah. of examples of like people you know like and not just white people like people in general who have absorbed whiteness feeling that they are entitled to other people's kindness at work, mm -hmm. their smiles, their, you know, happy moods, their, you know, friendly conversation, you know, the deep intimate yeah. parts of people, um, folks thinking that they're entitled to those in the, in the context of all of this different stuff, we mm -hmm. also still have to perform. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, this country thinks everything that it's possible for us to make, it belongs to them. Right. Our free Correct. You know? And that's that, that, yeah. says that like, white people can't look over their shoulder and find a hero, you know? And so that is why they're afraid of history because like every single generation of whiteness has tried to destroy entire groups of people, Yeah, you know? And like, and like, and like people don't understand like that is so crushing. So this is what we say, we mean when we say that like racism is toxic for whiteness, you know what I mean? Because like there is literally no way if racism didn't exist, that COVID would be ha happening like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, it's it just, it corrodes them. And, like, people don't, like, recognize that. But, like, you know, to your question about, like, um, an American, like, so, like, an, um, an American is, um, is about, like, my mom died when I was 19. And so it's, um, it's kind of about, you know, grappling with, like, what does it mean to grieve, like, a dark-skinned Nigerian Muslim woman in a country that has painted all those things the enemy, wow. you know? Wow. Because like, you know, I, like my mom died shortly after 9-11 when, you know, obviously like the war on terror has already been building um, before then and painting like Islam as like this toxic space. But like, you know, through my mother's death and through especially being so like close to 9-11, um, it just showed me that this country can make a weapon out of anything, yeah. even prayer you know and wow. and so it was really trying to like like and people don't understand that like heartbreak is a political condition you know because like how do you how do you grieve someone who everyone is assigning with as terrorists like you know cuz i remember like you know when i when we moved to south carolina i went from like you know an all girls white like uh school to a school that was majority black right um and I remember even my black classmates were just like, we're gonna get those, like, you know, those terrorists, like, and like every Muslim became a terrorist. And it just like, and then what? I'm just like, so even with the people that look like me, like my mother is still the enemy and she's half of me, you know? And so it's really, and the thing is just like, you, it's, it's so much easier to make enemies out of people when you live in the enemy's position, right? Because like you want relief, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and so it was just like, 
what what now you know and and trying to figure out like how just to untangle like the sadness with the fear with the surveillance you know because like I also like like it's just like what would people do if like if like if more people knew that she was Muslim you know what I mean yeah the um the last question I have and I have to admit it's kind of like a selfish question <laughs> because yeah um you know just thinking about writing like as an art form with like poetry and prose and stuff like I'm just wondering like what not even not even like what do you do to get into the writing game like what what do you what did you find as important to your practice to make um writing a mode of expression that you took super seriously like what what are some of the things that you have done to to make this a sustainable practice for you I mean like one of the only thing I've ever been good at so like you know there's that and I think that like um like you know my father's a visual artist like he like was taught like in like uh, MFA programs my entire life and so I, I am lucky in that like I never had anyone trying to talk me out of it like my dad was like super excited when I said I want to get MFA in poetry he gave me no warnings about <laughs> what that was actually going to look like you know so good and bad you know what I mean yeah and um but like I never had any romantic notions that it wasn't going to be hard like we weren't rich you know we struggled like there were years like we were in scholarships for like the alms and so like I didn't have any romantic um notions of it but I think like for me for me like you know reading is the most important thing because like people always say like reading is a solitary activity which I don't understand because like the first time you are you experience a book it's someone is reading to you so you can never ever be alone again mm -hmm. because you spent your first years of your life with someone else's voice and when you like are reading you hear a vo you hear your voice you hear a voice right it, you disappear into it and so like you know like there's like the trick that people say if you can't write it's because you're not reading enough yeah. and because like you really are having a conversation because just like also and I and like I mean from fiction to nonfiction, but also theory I think it's so deeply important that people are reading like the work of like of black scholars or but especially like black trans activists and disability justice activists because like the work has been done and so much of like what we do has just been reinventing the wheel because we have because even within our marginalization, there are people that are marginalized. Because even from the civil rights era, yeah. they were pushing out black trans right. women. You know what I mean? Right. And so I think really like reaching back for the people who have done the work, because like you know, the more like like activists that I've read, it helps me remember my own life from outside of a white gaze. Mm -hmm. You know. And like, that's what was going on, you know? I mean, like everyone should be reading Angela Davis, you know? Just like, I don't, I, I just can't even trust people who have it, you know? Cause it's just like, you don't know, you can't see yourself. Um, so I think that, but also just like, um, just like making sure you, I'm not one of those people who like writes, like just a time to write every day, like in that way, but like I wake up really early. And so like, I tend to write in the morning or, but like, but also like the, I think the key is just, just to find something that you want to write about. like you need to find whatever your obsessions are because once you find your obsession you won't be able to keep yourself away yeah. you know like yeah. even when i'm tired i'm just like trying to get back to that page you know because like my mind is racing but like also i think going easy on yourself because like i think thinking about what you're writing is writing reading counts as writing to me and like sometimes i just like i'm just like texting myself a sentence that i think about and like gnawing on that and i think um but yeah i think diversifying like the kind of culture that you get i think like um part of like you know my like why I'm able to write the way I do is because like I the like my 
I had a different type of witness to witness like my father like I saw the world but I also saw my father's interpretation of the world because my father like only paints black and African people you know and like uh growing up he illustrated children's books he used us as models so like we like we saw we literally saw ourselves literally reflected back um but like you know and, and like you know only white people had babysitters so like we were taken everywhere and so taking to art galleries taking to music shows like like symphonies you know like we were literally taken to all of it so to really see that there are so many different ways to know the world mm -hmm. because i think that's one of the, the like kind of the, the difficulties of writing it's like how am i going to say something new right you know and yeah. that like you gotta find a way to see the world outside of the way you've seen it you know or like, or to see, or to see it from somebody else's like lens, you know, because like, you know, Angela, that's what Angela Davis, her focus on prisons is because we look at prisons so we can understand the whole, you know? And like, when you lift up like the people who are the most marginalized, everybody comes up, you know? And so like, if, if all black people were taken care of in this country, everybody would be taken everybody, care of. Everybody, just lavish, living good, like. Right, would all be in mansions. <laughs> Is there anyone besides Angela Davis that you're reading right now that you're super stoked about? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, because I'm reading like so much for um, just research. I think um, one book that's really good that I'm reading for research is called Ethical Loneliness. It's like um, the injustice of not being heard. And so like she defines this term, it's like, it's like, um, it's like essentially like being abandoned by society and like the pain of that. And it's like, you know, people who have been like of victims of torture um, or like grave crimes and then and then being released into the society who doesn't seek justice for you, wow. you know? So you never know that it can't happen again, right? Um, so I think like that's a really good book. Um, this book, War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning is incredible. Wow. Like, I mean, that was incredible, but like it talks about like, you know, like war is a culture, it's fashionable, it's like literally like where we get our all of our meaning from in this in this like in this world because you know people talk about like you know we do this in wartime but the in the history of the world has been like what 19 years where there hasn't been war or right. something like that like yeah and so like if things are permissible only in wartime but if we're always in wartime everything right. is permissible right you know um so that book is really good um like uh i think like uh, there's this poetry. Oh, here it is. Build yourself a boat by a Kamala Felix. I have Felix. that. It's so so. It's like it's essentially perfect. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like so it's really good. really good book. Even though yeah, some, of the, some of the poems are just like this long. They took me like I had to yeah. sit with it. Just be like, what are you it's saying like, to it me? Like cuts you. Cuts you. Um, and then I think another book is like there's this book, uh, Disability Visibility by Alice Wong. It's an edited collection. Um, of uh, disability uh, writers like writing about that. And then like uh, the the new museum has a series of books that is so cool. And one of them is called Trap Door. It's just an anthology of um, of uh, trans activists and writers um, writing about like different things from like culture to like activism to media. And it's like, it just like is mind blowing from beginning to end. And like, you know, it was really, is really when I started like diving into the work of disability justice and trans activists that I was just like, oh fuck, this has all been done. We're literally just repeating their work. You know what I mean? I'm just like, and I'm just like, and what fucking assholes are we, you know? Cause like, because right there, that I think, cause that gets at the idea of ethical loneliness that like, that like you're fighting for yourself and people are acting like you're, you're not. And so then they're just like, then they have a revelation. It's like, it's just like when a white guy comes in after work and just like, like in a work meeting, just says the same thing you said, you know, and everyone's just like, 
Bob. <laughs> you know? really done it today. Mark, you know it's you always really Bob. Today. <laughs> you know? Wow. Here's some of the things I'm reading. Wow. Thank you so much, man. I mean, I like, I really could just like keep going, but I know, Mark, do you have any things? It's our, I think it's after four. The the biggest thing is just a thank you so much. So generous with your time. And I was just, thank you for not giving up on me. No, the whole thing is just like being able to like, I mean, I did want to sort of step back a little bit, but like, this was just so amazing. Just to listen to you and also Sarai, thank you so much also for your questions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is really incredible because like the whole thing, especially like, like this whole purpose of reading. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I love how you just spoke to that too, because there's this whole debate about like what's reading really for. And when I try to sort of share like what article club is trying to do, it's like, Oh, cute. Like that's a cute little thing that you're doing. And like, no, we are (laughs) doing things. We're really doing stuff. Like, I mean, like books change your life. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you mean? What are like, we're literally, we're this in kind of like, war is about story you know what i mean you gotta learn how you need to know how other people are telling stories about you you know and like it's a way to find your own life and your own people and your own story and like it's also a way to like love yourself yeah that's just ridiculous to me yeah yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being part of Article Club. And thank I can't, you. I cannot wait to share this with uh, yes. the rest of the folks. Oh my God. Thank you. And this was amazing. So you both keep in touch. 